edition of Essential Environmental. I'm Terry Montoya, your host. We have uh, a guest today, an esteemed guest, Tom Harder, a hydrogeologist. We'll get to uh, to him uh, in a moment. Um, let me uh, introduce the uh, topic we're going to be talking about today, um, and it's you know California's precarious reli- reliance on groundwater and uh, groundwater basins. Um, uh, rapid depletion of groundwater. And that's going to lead into a discussion of the impact the Regional Water Quality Control Board through the State Water Resources Control Board is going to have on the parties that draw from a groundwater basin via the Sustainable Groundwater Management Act. But let's go over a few foundational uh, concepts first, and then we'll get into our program. So, California has been relying on groundwater for decades. It's uh, estimated the groundwater supplies some 40% of the state with water. Groundwater being the source water for cities and agricultural uses. However, the frequency and severity of droughts and and climate change uh, uh, changes ongoing, the lack of groundwater infiltration projects, meaning that you know we have a propensity to reduce the amount of unpaved areas where stormwater can accumulate and percolate through through the soil and back into the groundwater basin. Those have taxed the state's groundwater resources. In the early part of the 20th century, growing cities and population increases in suburban areas depleted many groundwater basins. Basin depletion causes serious problems such as overdraft, pumping out more water than is recharged, land subsidence, saltwater intrusion for those basins that are that are close to the coastal areas. These conditions led to groundwater adjudication lawsuits where the courts manage a basin via a judgment. Groundwater adjudication arises when multiple parties withdraw waters from the same aquifer, the same groundwater basin, and some or all of the pumpers fear that there will be insufficient water to meet all of the pumpers' demands. A pumper or pumpers will then file a lawsuit in state court to determine groundwater rights and to request the court to establish a basin-wide groundwater management plan, essentially. These plans typically determine whether each water rights holder has a legal right to pump, how much water can be used, and the priority of pumpers' rights during periods periods rather of water shortage. Um, there's also aspects in uh, adjudication judgments on water quality and water storage, but we're just focusing on um, you know overdraft conditions and the allocation of rights. An adjudicated basin will result in a judgment decreeing all of the pumpers' rights, the rights of cities to appropriate water, which the pumpers are not putting for their own use because an overlying landholder who draws water from a groundwater basin has the supreme right. Below an overlying water rights user is an appropriator, and those are cities, municipalities that survive on taking portions of unused overlier rights and, of course, their own water sources that they develop and um, through recycled water. So they're beneath overlying water rights users is the concept there. An adjudicated basin judgment will also appoint a water master to ensure that the groundwater basin is managed consistent with the judgment to also include the proportional reduction of pumping rights in times of drought, resulting in a reduction of basin replenishment. A water master's role is to monitor groundwater levels to determine the basin's safe yield and to seek sources of available water for a recharge. Groundwater basins in Southern California are all managed via this adjudicated judgment process. However, 
not all of California's basins have been managed, ever been managed, resulting in long-term overdraft. Uh, the demand exceeds what, um, what, how the, uh, the rate and the amount by which the basin is recharged. Basins in the Central Coast and the San Joaquin Valley fall within some of the most critically overdrafted groundwater basins. With the passage of the Sustainable Groundwater Act, which we'll be calling SIGMA for short throughout this presentation, in 2014, California became one of the last states to manage groundwater resources, which always surprises me because California tends to be you know, on, on the leading edge in terms of water-related regulations, environmental-related regulations as well. Sometimes the regulations you know, uh, exceed the ability of technology, technology to, to catch up. But in this, in this system, in this state, ground, uh, groundwater was the, um, was the last water source to be managed by California. And there's, there's a longer, longer explanation reasons for that, which we'll get to in other shows. Sigma requires local groundwater sustainability agencies, GSAs, to develop groundwater sustainability plans, GSPs. Sigma defines sustainability as the avoidance of the six undesirable results. I call them the sins, such as one, declining water levels, two, reduction of groundwater storage, three, preventing seawater intrusion into freshwater groundwater basins, four, degraded water quality, five, land subsidence. We'll, we'll hear about that today and six depletions of interconnected surface waters. Overdrafted basins that are not subject to court-monitored adjudicated judgments have already submitted their GSPs, groundwater uh, sustainability plans. Groundwater sustainability agencies have until 2040 and 2042 to achieve groundwater sustainability. Now, we are fortunate today to have Tom Harder of Tom Harder uh, and Associates. He is a uh, hydrogeologist specializing in uh, developing groundwater models to achieve a water balance, you know, recharge ratio balanced with pumping usage and sustainable use. Uh, he and I are both involved with uh, monitoring the Beaumont a groundwater basin. Uh, I am counsel for the water master, which are the five municipalities, a representative from the five municipalities, uh, ensure that um, the adjudicated, uh, now amended groundwater uh, judgment is is honored. And you know our charge is to protect the pumping rights of uh, twelve over overlying pumping entities five appropriative agencies, five cities, and um, two tribes. Tom, for, for years now, has been um, our hydrogeologist. And relative to um, the Beaumont Basin, Tom has developed surface and groundwater flow models of the basin area to calibrate and reevaluate the basin's safe yield on a periodic basis. So uh, the groundwater basin uh, in Beaumont has, uh, at its peak when it's full, uh, 8,000 acre feet of water. Over, over years, decades of uh, pumping, uh, in, where the pumping exceeds the level of recharge, we're down to just a tad over 6,000 acre feet of water. We have to um, reduce the pumping rights of those with overlying rights. So we achieve some sort of safe yield, some sort of balance, look for um, other entities that can store water into the basin. And we're going to be getting to someday, probably not soon enough, um, using recycled water to recharge the basin. These are all key issues that um, 
that are in Tom's lap. But Tom is also involved in representing um, and uh, preparing uh, Sigma plans for some of the basins in the San Joaquin Valley, the critically overdrafted basins, in particular, the, uh, the Thule Basin, which we're going to be talking to him about today and find out, you know, what's going, what's going on in terms of the interactions and the evaluation with the State Water Resources Control Board and the local entities as to the plans that have been um, turned in and rev reviewed and commented upon. And um, the interests, the varying interests of uh, the parties involved in a, in a Sigma situation out there. Um, there's issues uh, involving, of course, the pumpers, the overliers and their rights. There's environmental justice concerns regarding folks that have smaller wells, smaller domestic water wells, and the impact that, you know, pumping by larger entities is having uh, on their facilities. And we'll go over some of the concepts of, um, of the Sigma process and then talk about um, follow up on our discussion. We've had some, some discussions about this already, where we think this is all, this is all headed because it's, it's headed to a clash or probably plural clashes. So we'll talk about that. Um, Tom, I don't want to, um, I want to give you free reign to, uh, to introduce yourself and, and fill in the gaps and uh, let's get going on the topic. Well, first off, Terry, thanks for having me. Of course. Um, happy to uh, talk about this topic. It is, um, I am definitely in the weeds of it every day. Um, I am a hydrogeologist. Um, we are the hydrogeologist for the Thule Subbasin. This is a basin that is in the southern part of the San Joaquin Valley of the Central Valley. Um, I think you touched on some key points. One of them is in Southern California, you know, most of these basins are adjudicated because they've been urbanized. Um, the Central Valley is mainly rural. It's mainly agricultural interests. And, and those agricultural interests that are supplying water to their crops from groundwater via wells, they have overlying rights. And in our somewhat archaic California groundwater law, so, um, over what's that? Somewhat. <laughs> somewhat. Uh, overliers can, if they own the property, they can pump as much as they need to to supply it as long as they put it to beneficial use. And unfortunately, um, the area has grown. It is, I don't know the percentage right now, but is one of the um, highest percentage suppliers of fruits and vegetables to the United States as a whole. It is a, uh, a billion, billions dollar economy that's going on in the Central Valley. So they have to date been pumping whatever they needed to sustain that economy. And that has caused major groundwater overdraft. And by overdraft, I mean the groundwater levels beneath the land surface are going down over time consistently despite wet year periods and dry periods, they're just continuing to go down and it's not sustainable. It can't be sustained over time. So it needs to be addressed. I would say that the agricultural interests all knew that this time was coming. They could not do this forever. They were causing impacts. They're causing impacts to themselves. And they knew that they were gonna have to get this um, in balance, this water budget, so to speak, but as often happens, it takes, you know, a, a regulation to put in place to kind of grease the skids, so to speak, and, and, and get things moving. So as Terry said, um, we'll use Thule Subbasin as an example. These basins are identified by the Department of Water Resources. They've been codified in the Bulletin 118 is the DWR bulletin that they are defined in, and their basin boundaries are defined in there. And each of these basins is required to develop a groundwater sustainability plan to show how it's going to achieve groundwater sustainability by 2040, as you mentioned. Um, groundwater sustainability is defined as um, the amount of groundwater that can be extracted, and I'm paraphrasing this because I don't have it in front of me, but it's the amount of groundwater that can be extracted on an average annual basis including periods of surplus water 
that can be done without causing an undesirable result. And that's left fairly vague, undesirable result, because there's a number of those types of things. And it has to be locally defined what that undesirable result is. This could be include uh, land subsidence, seawater intrusion, um, impacting your neighbor, causing a groundwater quality issue. Those are, as Terry said, the six deadly sins. Those are the, those are the sustainability indicators against which that is observed. Those are the ones that have been designated under. They've been uh, designated in the code, correct? The, the State Water Resources Control Board makes clear that, um, you know, we are, we are the enforcement entity. You know, we are mm-hmm. the club. If a Sigma report um, isn't deemed to, uh, to meet, you know, the strictures of Sigma, we will upset it and make you, you know, redo it. Yes, and if we're not taking Sigma seriously, critically overdrafted uh, basin. We'll put you on a probationary period and force you to do it. But then they um, they make clear that look decisions about um, how a basin is to be managed and and what constitutes sustainability is for the the local agencies mm-hmm. and stakeholders of any of any kind to determine. So. The, the six deadly sins, um, there could be more in local agencies and local stakeholders can say, you know, I find other factors of, uh, of sustainability that, that we need to address in our Sigma plan. That's true. And, and the state board has also said that they can find different things in, in addition to that. So um, it, it is in the original DWR um, Sigma document. And that's also a bit of a bone of contention right now that we're going through. But um, yeah, backing up, I, you know, I would say in the Thule Subbasin and, and the other basins, I've worked in the Cahuilla and the Kern and the Delta Mendota, uh, a, a big, most of the growers uh, as stakeholders, and there's multiple stakeholders, most of the growers have been very, very, they want to get this addressed and they want to do the right thing. They're trying to uh, they're trying to abide by Sigma. Um, one issue is using the Thule Subbasin as an example, it's divided into seven groundwater sustainability agencies. So all of these agencies, you know, one basin is now divided into seven different agencies because they want to keep their local control and, or they don't trust their neighbors. Um, the problem with that is that we have to do a coordination agreement between those agencies because the DWR, the Department of Water Resources and the State Board only recognize the basin as a whole. And one of the issues that we've had is really getting these GSAs, groundwater sustainability agencies to coordinate and to cooperate and to get on the same page. You know, they have different issues, different things, and it's getting that together um, to define what is an undesirable result that has been really an issue. And with groundwater, um, you know, uh, there's, no, there's no underground boundary at even the basin boundaries or between these GSAs. So groundwater is free to flow from one area to the other and back. And the pumping in one area affects what happens in right. the other areas. And so, you know, there has been a lot of, well, it's my neighbor's fault, you know, he's, he, it's his pumping that's causing my issue and vice versa. And so those are things that the Department of Water Resources really um, latched on recently. And, and to give you a bit of history there, the original GSPs, groundwater sustainability plans were due to the DWR in January of 2020. Um, in January of 2022 or February, the Department of Water Resources provided comments that we had to address in order to stay out of probation. We attempted our best to address those comments in the context of multiple GSAs and multiple interests. And they came back and said, no, that, that didn't cut it. And part of it was because of this coordination issue. So at this point, those Thule Subbasin, along with, I think, five or six others, have been punted to the State Water Resources Control Board 
for consideration of probation, which is to get mm-hmm. all of these GSPs, you know, in line with what they consider to be um, uh, um, satisfying the law, Sigma. And so that's where we are right now. But a big, a big sticking point is in the coordination between the GSAs. You mentioned um, uh, the groundwater basin was, you know, fractionalized. And that may also be necessary because not all, not all basins uh, represent, you know, a, an open accessible pool for recharge purposes and, and for use. Mm-hmm. Like for instance, you know, our Beaumont basin, our Beaumont basin uh, appears to, um, to allow infiltration um, in certain portions of it and other portions uh, infiltration and, and water tends to remain in that fractional area. So um, yes, I didn't, you know, you, you can explain that more artfully, of course, but there's also, um, you know, in the particular case that you're, you're referring to, it seems that the, the basin was, was fractionalized, be, not because of scientific and technological justification, but just because people wanted to, you know, protect their own, their own turf, their own spheres of, you know, of influence. But, you know, a basin could also be fractionalized because of its geology. That's correct. That is correct. Yeah, in this case, most of these were existing irrigation districts, and it was easy for them to just maintain their existing irrigation district or agency and then, and then rename it as a GSA. Um, but in some cases, you know, they were um, grouped, and we've just recently had a new GSA form in one of the GSAs. They decided they did not want to be a part of the rest of the GSA. Um, so I think that, um, but, and that is causing some issue, you know, as a hydrogeologist, I like things to be comport with the natural system, right? where groundwater comes from, where it goes, what are the natural boundaries? Um, and then even the De- Department of Water Resources boundaries are in many cases, county boundaries, they're, they're political boundaries, they're not natural hydrogeological boundaries, which creates its own issues in this whole process. <laughs> so. Do you think the end result relative to the basin you're dealing with is the fractional interests will, um, you know, be disbanded in favor of just one entity representing the basin? Um, it's been floated, but to date that, that has not um, I don't think that the GSAs are going to coalesce into one GSA in, in that basin, particular basin. Um, there, are, there have been, we have one coordination agreement for the entire sub-basin. And, um, and then to date, each GSA pre- prepares their own GSP. And to date, there has been no appetite to coalesce the GSP, at least. So we still have, still have some fractionalization there, you know, it it can be overcome, but it does create a little bit more administrative and political difficulty in getting this past the finish line with the state board. You're, you're, you're very diplomatic. (laughs) Yeah. And it isn't, uh, the state water resources control board, their, their policy has been, um, you know, we're going to come in and make determinations on what beneficial use is and is not. Mm-hmm. And um, they're, they have been, um, you know, upsetting the concept of overlying pumping right mm-hmm. as a property. That's right. And they have, they have even, they've even gone after pre-1914 rights, which, um, is, you know, for, for the longest time, for decades and decades have been, you know, inviolate, you know, mm-hmm. but uh, we'll get, we'll get, we'll get to the beneficial, we'll get to uh, the state water resources control boards um, role, but I don't see that, you know, their, their focus is to let the local entities uh, 
make decisions. I don't see them taking a heavy hand in trying to, uh, you know, break up the various, um, you know, fractional areas, fractional agencies. No, no, they're not. Yeah, that's been my experience too. Um, I think in terms of local control, there has been a little bit of, you know, intervention on that end of things, which is, um, in my opinion, a bit counter to Sigma. But, um, but yeah, they have not, they, they have said it would be nice if we got just one GSP and had to review one document um, because of their limited staff, but they haven't really demanded that everybody coalesce. How, um, in, in the case of the uh, Sigmas that you've worked on, how have they allocated um, groundwater? Have they, have they looked at, uh, have, they, has, have pumpers suggested, well, you know, I've been pumping, um, you know, my family and I have been pumping in this manner for, you know, the last 40 years. And mm -hmm. that's how I want to allocate uh, my rights. Or have they looked at it in terms of what courts tend to look at in adjudicated basin cases, you know, looking at the pumping rate over the prior five year period? Mm -hmm. How has that issue been, been addressed? Well, that's been addressed through our groundwater sustainability plan. And part of each plan, we have to do an analysis of what the sustainable yield is. Uh, that's going back to that definition, the amount of groundwater we can pump on a long-term basis without causing an undesirable result. And the way we came to that analysis is with the groundwater flow model. The groundwater flow model is a computer model of the real system. It's gridded in the model and we assign properties at each of those grids and we can analyze the water budget of the basin. How much water is coming in, how much water is going out. And um, if the amount of water coming in is greater than going out, the groundwater levels will rise. The amount going out in this case is greater than the amount coming in, the groundwater levels will go down. So we can use that tool um, very, very um, efficiently to find out what level of pumping in the future would level the groundwater levels so they did not go down you know every year over time and so that's been a very effective tool for us and we used that estimate and then we gave that estimate to the gsas and said you need this is your allocation of that sustainable yield it's kind of like an adjudication and, and different entities right this is your allocation of that sustainable yield you have 20 years to go from where you are now, pumping wise, to sustainable levels. And each of those agencies then identified projects, what they call projects and management actions, to get there. Now, the projects could include recharge or they could include, you know, bringing new surface water supplies in or some other managed sources. But the primary tool that they're using is to reduce pumping. And so they've got a, what we call a ramp down to reduce their pumping to get to sustainable levels. Much like we've done in, in the Beaumont Basin, just reallocating the right. rights downward. Correct. Now, they're not rights, you know, per right. our Sigma keeps whole our, 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 the overlying and riparian rights and appropriative rights for that matter. So, um, but... I can say that all of the um, groundwater sustainability agencies have been wanting to do this and they've been cooperating and that issue has not come up. So these, these farmers are voluntarily giving up what they would have otherwise been able to pump. <clears throat> I, they're cooperating because, um, you know, it's a combination of factors. It might be a combination of factors because mm -hmm. Um, you know, they want to continue to, to pump. They want a sustainable resource. They want to be fair. Um, but also, um, you know, they, on some level, they understand from the adjudication process that courts have been supporting uh, adjudications and courts have essentially been doing the same thing 
in Southern California adjudicated basins telling the pumpers the days of first in time and first in right, and you get to pump what, uh, what you feel you need are over. So we are reducing your pumping rights. Right. So, um, they have been in a unique, uh, you know, geographic area where they've, where they've, um, you know, largely av- avoided groundwater adjudications, but you know, they understand how that concept works too. So they there's do. A, um, there's probably a push point for all those people mm-hmm. where they can say, you know what, I've, 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 I've given enough. Um, and who knows, and who knows what, uh, what will trigger that. But for now, of course, I'm sure they understand that they're just going through, uh, a statutory adjudication kind of function. And that's absolutely right. I, I agree with you, Terry. Um, right now, when they pump in overdraft, the way these groundwater sustainability agencies raise money is they charge them a fee for each acre foot of groundwater that they pump over the safe yield. And they use those fees to generate money to implement projects to keep the basin sustainable and to address mitigation of domestic wells, which we haven't talked about yet, but that's that's another issue. Um, I was just in a meeting yesterday with the Eastern Thule GSA and a number, they basically are having to raise the fees again to address some things. And a number of the growers came, it was a public hearing, a number of the growers and said, you know, we're going bankrupt. And these are not, these are not big corporate growers. These are small time farms. These are people who have been farming this land for generations and they're scraping by. And so the, the, the pain point is coming and I don't know what, I don't know where that is, but, um, you know, I, I, I agree. It's a matter of time before they just, they just break and say, you know, we can't do this. When we, um, our discussions, uh, before and after the Beaumont, uh, public hearings, um, you talked about, um, coming into, um, coming into conflict with some of the set, some of the uh, undesirable results. Mm-hmm. And what do you, uh, oh, yes. Yeah. And land subsidence is, it, that is one of the key things in the Central Valley that they've struggled with um, back into the 1930s and 40s. Um, that was first identified in the Central Valley. And there's some famous studies showing um, some USGS scientists standing near a pole that's, you know, and he has it marked and it's 30 feet of land subsidence and, you know, in the in the 50-year period before that picture was taken. Um, since that time, with the advent of the Frank Kern Canal, this is a surface water canal that brings water in from Millerton Reservoir down south. It a uh, number of the growers can, that have water rights off of that canal can discharge off that canal and supply water to their crops from surface water supplies. And it goes all the way to the Kern River. Um, with the advent of that, land subsidence largely stopped in the 1970s and up into the 1980s. And then since mid-1980s, we've been in a period of, again, uh, uh, overdraft. And one of the problems is it causes land subsidence. And if that land subsidence occurs in a small area, it bows the canals. And in this case, it bowed the Fryant Kern Canal such that it can't deliver water south of where the bow is. And so the people in Kern County said, this has got to stop. We got to fix this. We want all of our water rights that we paid for. And we want to be able to take that when it's available. So we got to stop the land subsidence. And what that means is they've got to maintain groundwater levels and they've got to reduce their pumping. So that area is especially managed. It has its own management plan. But that is an example of a, an undesirable result. And um, the Fryant Water Authority, who managed this canal, is, I think, the, the, they just fixed it. Um, I think it's on the, to the tune of roughly $250 million to fix that canal. And they don't want any more land subsidence because they don't want to fix it again because it's, it's pricey. So that's an example of a, a specific problem that can occur. 
the history of, of, of California water is fascinating. I mean, all, yeah. all the canal systems, um, the, the wheeling around and, and moving around of water. It's, um, it's just, well, at least to me, I find it exceedingly interesting. I, it is very interesting. And it's going to be interesting how this all pans out when we try to reduce groundwater, groundwater pumping in the area. Yeah. Well, aside from uh, just as a, as um, a practical matter, aside from the threat of uh, land subsidence, a, you know, a delta in a groundwater basin uh, is also um, of concern to pumpers because it, it significantly increases the electricity cost of pumping water up. You want right. the basin to be as full as possible because the hydraulic pressure of water helps, you know, bring water up out of the pumps in and of itself. Is that true? That is true. It's yeah, it's called lift, and it's the um, the deeper the groundwater gets, the more electricity you have to in place to get that to the land service. So um, that is also an impact associated with that. So groundwater basins are always looking for. Um, water to store in that delta area mm-hmm. that depleted area um keep the basin as full as possible uh yes. help with the lift that's right uh, prevent land subsidence um but that's that's a challenge to find I mean, you have the friant canal as, as as one example but that's um that's an exception i mean there's no new water to mm-hmm. acquire to uh, to fill up uh, empty empty basin space, right? Um, so we're down to uh, we're down to um, reducing pumping, which is probably the number one recommended forced measure of some sort. Yes, um, al- la- uh, uh, allowing land to be fallow, and that is a that is the natural result of that. They will not be able to grow crops on as much land as they did. Also, uh, flooding portions of, of the land to allow recharge. And that is a, that I call stormwater capture. And that is a very, um, they are active area of um, both investigation and implementation of projects such as this year when we had significantly above average precipitation the Tulare Lake flooded for the first time since maybe 1983. Yeah, a long time. I mean, that's, that's, it was a significant event. And um, much of that water just went to Tulare Lake and it's going to evaporate and be gone. And so there is a concerted effort to establish groundwater basins or, or managed basins where they can put that water, divert it, and sink it into the ground and store it underground. That is definitely one of the projects to help us maintain groundwater levels. Um, my wife and I, we, were, um, we took our Airstream trailer to Paso Robles mm-hmm. three weekends ago. And going down um, over the grapevine, going uh, north along the five, uh, I was surprised by how many um, marshy areas there were. Yes. And, well, uh, you may have been driving through the Kern Water Bank. Yeah which is, which are basins, there's basins on each side of I-5, Interstate 5 there. And those are all sinking basins. Yeah. Yeah. Well, finally they have, um, they have surface, surface uh, storm water to, to allow um, transfers, exchanges, water markets. Mm-hmm. They can also play a role. How vibrant are those in that area? You know, not so much in Thule yet. We're really at the initial stages of getting our arms around, A, how much water we have and who has that water right now. Um, there are a lot of the haves and the have-nots. And so the people who are haves have water rights on those, con- those contracts on the Frank Kern Canal, those surface water supplies. Um, the have-nots do not have access to that surface water. So the trading that could occur when the people who have rights on those surface water supplies can sell them to others who don't, that type of thing is really in its infancy 
in the Thule Subbasin. I know that in the Kauia Subbasin, just to the north of us, which I'm also involved in, they are pursuing a, a water rights or a water marketing type of uh, scenario. I'm not as involved with that, but I know that those things are in the mix. Well, you hit on um, you hit on the the environmental justice component, which is which is a a, a significant growing trend in the environmental realm in its in its totality. Mm-hmm. I also um, handle soil and groundwater cleanups, and you know the Department of Toxic Substances Control, which is the California EPA division. They received over $2 billion in funding to go after entities, parties, landowners, former, you know, f- former businesses that have been releasing contaminated plumes in lower socioeconomic areas mm-hmm. uh, that have been you know, largely ignored. The, the air quality management district is always, is, is, has been increasing its enforcement in those areas against uh, plating businesses that the ones that are remain in California, most of them, have, most of them have, have fled, but you know, they tend to be located in lower socioeconomic areas. And in the realm of, of, of water, we, we, you see, you have that environmental justice focus uh, mm-hmm. in, in the Sigma context there. I mean, you have, you have um, small, uh, localized uh, individual landowners that have a domestic well mm-hmm. and their ability to pump has been negatively impacted by, you know, the, the hydraulic cone of influence from agricultural pumps nearby taking water that they would normally have access to. <clears throat> How's that playing out? It is playing out for sure. That is, um, that is a focus of the State Water Resources Control Board, as opposed to the Department of Water Resources, not as focused on that. But now that we're in the the State Water Board's um, focus, um, that has been these small domestic wells. And there are, in in terms of our area, there's the city of Porterville. Um, There were many, many uh, local single family home domestic wells on those those properties. And many of them went dry in the last drought between 2011 and, and 2015. And I've been told that Porterville was one of the reasons that Sigma got written. I don't know. <laughs> not, not that I get blamed, you know, we get blamed for it, but um, that is one of the things that, that brought Sigma about is, you know, these homeowners being impacted. Right. Now it's the devil's in the details you know, many of these wells were along the Thule River, and they're about 50 feet or less in depth. They're very shallow and very sensitive to precipitation changes, hydrology, and that type of thing. So, And those aren't the aquifers where these ag interests pump water. So many of them were impacted by just drought conditions. Um, some were impacted by um, the combined pumping of the basin. Um, in overdraft. And so um, we are currently, that is in terms of um, managing groundwater, we have turned to that as a condition to set our criteria. And by criteria, I mean, in, in, in terms of managing the basin, we have what we call representative monitoring sites, or these are wells mm-hmm. where we measure groundwater levels. And if those groundwater levels go below a certain level, we have to do something. And we can't let it go below a level that causes significant and unreasonable effects. They call that a minimum threshold. And we go back to this local control issue. Um, per Sigma, I would interpret the law as saying that the locals need to determine, the stakeholders, the combined stakeholder group needs to determine what's significant and unreasonable and then define their minimum threshold accordingly. We have done that and the state board has come back and said, no, that's not low enough or that's not enough. You know, so we're kind of we're kind of in that zone where it said, well, I thought that was up to us. But, you know, we're continuing down that and that minimum threshold, that significant unreasonable is dictated by how many wells we could potentially impact before 2040. 
again, we have until 2040 to get our house in order for groundwater levels. So now it's a matter of how many wells could we potentially impact with continuing lowered groundwater levels until then. And then setting up a mitigation fund to make sure that if those people are impacted, we can make them whole, replace their well, lower their pump, whatever is needed to be. So that is the current focus of the, the entire, really, um, groundwater sustainability plan in the revised that we're presenting to the state board. I wonder if some of the pumpers are, you know, playing it smart and um, giving some of those, um, giving some of those remote, um, remote, uh, smaller, smaller community, individual well owners, some water just to keep them placated. And that is a big part of it. In fact, one of the, in the mitigation plan, one of the mitigations so to speak, is to connect them to the city's water service. Right. The city of Porterville has a municipal water supply system with, I think, 20-some wells, um, pipelines, et cetera. And most of these homes are near that distribution system. So there is a very, very active program going on right now to connect those small domestic wells to the city's distribution system. Pay for the supply. Yeah. Yep. And that is the most economical solution for that. Now, some people don't want to be connected to the city system. They want to have their own domestic well. So, you know, in those cases, we have to, you know, we have to address that. But um, in most cases, I would say they, they want to, they're okay. They're tired of not being able to shower. So they want to be connected <laughs> to the city system. So they have to go to their, their neighbor and take a shower or whatever. You know. So where do you think it's headed? <sighs> there hasn't been there, uh, people. People have tried to um, to challenge Sigma as you know uh, as an uh, as un, under the guise that it's a, you know uh, an abuse of state water resources power. Mm-hmm. Um, that hasn't that hasn't gone that hasn't gone anywhere. No, but you know there's. In in my opinion, we're going to have we're going to have litigation. We're going to have litigation on on the grounds that look, I've um, I, I I've given enough. I can't I can't give any more. I have a I have a business enterprise here, and um, since the beginning of, of of California water law, groundwater has always been you know, a right. I don't own the groundwater. I understand that, but it's always been, I've always had a right to pump. Um, and I'm putting it to a beneficial use by growing, you know, pistachios, whatever it is, I'm, whatever it is I'm growing. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I've ramped down as much as I, as I can ramp down. So I think there, I think we're going to see takings cases. Um, I think we're going to, um, it's, there's two types of taking cases. There's physical taking when the government, um, puts something on your property and, um, it represents a taking or, um, uh, through an, through an act or omission floods your property, damages your property. And, and hence that's a taking, you know, pipelines have burst and, and sent water on people's property. Uh, construction work has occurred, public projects have occurred, which have damaged property. Uh, some have already tried uh, the Allegri case against uh, Imperial Irrigation District, mm-hmm. which got uh, a 2006 case. Allegri wanted to uh, drill, redrill uh, a well that he had a permit for and uh, put it to use because he had a tenant that wanted to, uh, to farm uh, a plot of land that he had. And he, and he got a permit, but the, uh, the district said, well, you're limited to 12,000 acre feet a year. And he didn't immediately respond, but when he got around to wanting to activate the pumps, then, um, you know, then he, pursued, um, he pursued his claim that this represents uh, a taking. And 
his attorney argued both a physical taking and it was a, it was a unique argument and that is <laughs> you um i don't own the groundwater but you the government the imperial irrigation district in this particular uh, instance owns the groundwater and if you're telling me i cannot take it out of my property at the rate that that i that i've been taking it then uh, it's still physically there so mm-hmm. you are in, you know it's it represents a physical taking because yeah. i only have one opportunity to take it out and if you tell me i can't it's gone forever court said no that's not a physical taking and it's also temporary which mm-hmm. is um i mean you can argue that you know the the twelve thousand dollar acre feet reduction is temporary but that could be the case for decades to come yeah but uh, then he tried the regulatory taking which which appears to you know based upon uh a, a impairment of my you know economic expectations for using the property mm. and the court cited to as as has been the case in other instances relative to surface water they've cited to you know the 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 govern the the water entities under the state constitution article 10 section 2 can determine can limit one's use to reasonable use and what that is is you know is dependent on the circumstances these cases say mm-hmm. but you know Article 10, Section 2, which was created in 1913 based upon horrible ruling mm-hmm. in the case when the Herming houses diverted their surface rights and flooded their property. So a downstream Southern California Edison power plant wouldn't have access to the water. Um, that was a horrible ruling. That was determined to be a, a valid and reasonable use of your riparian water rights. So out of the outcry came the statute. Right. But the statute has always been tied to surface water rights. You know, riparian rights, which also include, you know, subsurface water flowing in a defined channel. Uh-huh. So there has been, there's no California case yet that tees up the issue of you know, does Article does Article Ten, Section Two, uh, apply to a groundwater pumping right in the takings okay. context? And also, two concepts: when 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 courts say no, the government has the right to dictate reasonable use, and we're going to go with their explanation. They do it on Article Ten, Section Two, but they do it on the National Audubon case, the public trust doctrine. But the public trust doctrine should not be applied to groundwater pumping for agricultural because it's, you know, it's genesis and its basis is for drawing out water that could impact surface surface flows and impact other water bodies or marshy areas or environmental areas. So I think we're going to see someone at some point in time tee up, tee up the issue of it's a regulatory taking as applied. I have a business mm-hmm. expectation here. And um, I don't buy the argument that Article two, Article 10, Section 2 applies to groundwater pumping rights. Yeah. Well, you're a lot more f- close to those regulations than I am um, in terms of the water rights. Um, we have heard whiffs of takings. And in... in, in Speaking as the hydrogeologist this is going to come a lot less legal than that, but you know you have uh, groups that have water rights off the Frank Kern or some other surface water supply, sending it down a canal and irrigating their crops. They're claiming a right to the every crop that's ever grown when they irrigate it. Part of it percolates deep beyond the root zone and into the groundwater. Not all of it is used by the plant. And that portion that be- goes beyond the roots is called return flow. That mm-hmm. is recharge. So they're claiming that as a right. And most of those people, or I shouldn't say most, a lot of those entities 
that have those rights, surface water rights, are whole. They on, on paper, they're they're in balance. So their pumping is in balance with their water supply. But the areas upgradient of them that are pumping water that would otherwise flow to them are not in an imbalance and are allowed a ramp down. And so there have been whiffs that that temporary overdraft between now and 2040 is a taking. And so um, we're beginning to, to hear whiffs of that type of thing. You know, I, I'm, I don't know if I'm the eternal optimist or I'm just so focused on getting past the state board right now, <laughs> but you know, I, I, I think, I, you know, I th I'm hopeful that we're trying at this point, we're focused on staying out of probation with the state board and getting, getting directionally correct that way. But once we do, I, I feel that there's actually more chance the that the neighbors, these basins, these whole basins, which are, again, bounded by political boundaries, county boundaries, other types of boundaries, that at some point they're going to point to the neighbors and say, and you're not honoring your agreements and it's affecting us and we're going to sue you to, to get yourself in order. And it's, it's kind of the age old thing, you know, that's what caused the adjudication. One farmer pumping is affecting the other farmers pumping. He says, stop doing that. And, 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 and some definitions of safe yield is whatever you can do without getting shot or shot at. <laughs> and, you know, I've actually seen that as a definition of safe yield. But, you know, that's the age old thing when it starts affecting somebody else or they have the perception that it's affecting them. It's going to become legal. And, I, you know, it's just a matter of time before they're they're done paying fees to get themselves sustainable. And they're, they're going to say, you know what? adjudication as you mentioned is or any legal process is extremely expensive and they're just going to say it's worth it let's go for it so i'm i'm hopeful that that we can all work work together to a common cause but um there's a distinct possibility that that'll occur yeah and we, we talked about this before in in terms of um yeah, you mentioned you mentioned the new water, the recharge. That's mm -hmm. that's potentially a component to to a physical taking. You know, you're taking mm -hmm. that's new water that I created, mm -hmm. you don't own, and you're taking it from me. Um, right. That that could equate to a physical taking argument as well. But when we talked about this before, that you know, it, it, it may be the time. Uh, it may be the time, it may be the place to, to finally um, just settle it in court and get, mm -hmm. we, have, we, have, we have California appellate court rulings, but it's going to have to be someone who's going to make those taking arguments is going, to, is, is, is going to take it up to the California Supreme Court. And at, at some, yep. one of those cases, they're going to have to say, all right, it's time to make a definitive ruling. We have an archaic yeah. system of water laws. It's fine. It's time to to make a, a definitive ruling, and maybe we I absolutely hand it off. I think so. I think you know it's a matter of who is going to pick up the ball and run. But right now, Sigma, you know, if you look at it, is really in direct conflict with our original overlying right water law. Of course, um, yeah. and it's they're they're in conflict, and so it's it's. I agree. That'll be a Supreme Court decision, and we're going to need to restructure it at some point. But uh, yeah, it's it's some. We'll have to see. We'll see if somebody's willing to take up the ball and run. <laughs> I haven't seen anybody so far, but you know, up there, maybe they have, and I'm not aware of it. But well, we will see. It will. It will. Yes. It won't sneak up on us. We'll. we'll <laughs> no, it never does. Yeah, you're. Uh, I find you to be an impressive fellow. You're, oh, you're, thank you're you. very sharp. Sometimes at, at uh, Beaumont meetings, I think you've got x-ray vision, but I know you don't. <laughs> or, um, you're, you're very sharp. Well, that's, you're, that's kind. You're well-respected in what you do. And what I also find to be impressive about you is your ability to, to clearly and concisely explain challenging concepts. Mm -hmm. so, well, thank you. We have been we have been blessed by your insights today. Um, it's um, it's good to work with you, and it's good to to know about what it is that you're 
you're doing. Um, mm-hmm. Boots on the ground, very much in the Sigma process. In the yes. weeds, as you, as you say. In the weeds, yeah. And uh, I thank you very much for your time. Absolutely, Terry. I, I, likewise with you, I enjoy working with you and I appreciate you inviting me to be on here. Thank you very much. Well, yep. uh, I also want to thank our, our engineers that, um, that uh, record this program for uh, Frost Brown Todd. And with that, um, this is not an issue that um, will, will go away, will be the subject of uh, further broadcasts. Thank you very much, Tom. Take care. Thank you.